Hello, and welcome to Close Talking, the world's most popular poetry analysis podcast from Cardboard Box Production Incorporated. I am co-host Connor McNamara Stratton, and with my good friend Jack Rossiter Munley, we read a poem, talk about the poem, and read the poem again. Before we get into today's selection, a quick note that if you like what we do here at Close Talking, and you have a spare minute, it would mean the world to us if you would give the podcast a rating and a review on Apple Podcasts. Those ratings and reviews help boost us up the algorithm and find new listeners. And if you have suggestions for future episodes or comments on this one, you can send us an email at closetalkingpoetry at gmail.com. You can also find us on social media. On Twitter, the show is at Close Talking. I'm at Connor M. Stratton, and Jack is at Jack Rossiter Munn. On Instagram, the show is at Close Talking, and on Facebook, it's facebook.com slash close talking. And our website, where you can find all our past episodes, is closetalking.com. On with the show. Hello, and welcome to an all-new episode of Close Talking. I am one of your co-hosts, Connor McNamara Stratton. And I am your other co-host, Jack Rossiter Munley. And as always, we have yet another marvelous poem for you today. This one is called The Word. It is by Zaffir Kurniel. And yeah, he's a wonderful poet. His latest book, which this poem, The Word, is a part of, is called Us. Kurniel is a British poet, uh, and it is relevant uh, to this poem in particular and a lot of his work. His mother was English, but his father is from Kashmir. Um, his father features prominently in the poem. I think this poem and the topics it covers are particularly relevant because this episode is obviously coming out shortly after Meghan Markle and Prince Harry's explosive interview with Oprah Winfrey, which Woo! if not revelatory for a lot of people about the depths of racism in the UK and particularly within the firm as the royal family is called, um, it does. it's one of those you know instances where they kind of chart more accurately the contours of it like in the in ancient times you maybe knew that there was a landmass off the coast but somebody finally draws a map of it it felt to me sort of like that's what was happening in that interview of somebody <laughs> actually like saying no this is this is how bad it is and here's some specifics you know yeah i mentioned that now just because i felt like as i was reading through the poem again and again that after that interview came out it was sort of incorporating itself into my reading of it yeah, no, I, I think it's definitely resonant. Um, yeah, so I guess um, without further ado, uh, let's just jump right in. This is The Word by Zaffir Kurniel. I couldn't tell you now what possessed me to shut summer out and stay in my room, or at least attempt to, in bed mostly. It's my dad standing in the doorframe, not entering, but pausing to shape advice that keeps coming back. Whatever is matter must enjoy the life. He pronounced this twice. And me, I heard wrongness in putting a the before life. In two minds, ashamed, aware, that I knew better, though was stuck inside, 
while the sun was out, that I'm native here in a halfway house, like that sticking word, that definite article, half right, half wrong, still present between enjoy and life. This is such an elegantly perceptive poem. Oh my gosh, I know. It is like, I mean, yeah, it's so clear that I think we almost barely have to do a narrative breakdown because it basically gives it to you in the poem. And it is one of the purest examples I can think of, of just like a brilliant poetic observation about language and a moment like that so much of poetry comes from experiencing a moment and seeing the poetry possible in that moment and like this is that to the nth degree a double a double shout out to to sarita my partner who sent this poem to me all right sarita. I, was, I know i know yeah i mean you're totally right that it's it's very clear in its sort of literal description always helpful to do do a little play by play um, but I'll keep it brief basically you know you have the speaker who's a kid and has been sort of depressed or whatever stay in his room all summer and the speaker's dad tries to give him advice tries to get him out of the house and says whatever is matter must enjoy the life and the speaker you know and knowing like the um the sort of biographical context, the speaker born in England, his dad is from Kashmir. So we, you know, English is his dad's second language. You know, we, we sort of infer and the, the speaker is sort of noticing the grammatically kind of incorrect way that his father's trying to give him advice. And then, but then is sort of like reflecting on you know, the, the poetry in that moment. And yeah, that's, that's pretty much, that's pretty much it. What I found interesting is that as I read it through the first time, I didn't have any biographical, you know, extra textual information. And the poem is so clear that you can intuit almost all of it. I think it doesn't explicitly say that the speaker is a teen, but you get big teen energy <laughs> from the poem, both because they're like, you can live at home at any age as if nothing else the last year has shown us that on top of so many other things. Um, but like yes. if you're at home, you know, it's like the, you know, you might be a whatever, if this is true, if you're living at home with your parents and your dad comes in to tell you to go outside more, you might be a teen. Um, <laughs> 10, 10 things, <laughs> 10 ways to know you might be a teen. Um, but like, you get a big, but it's not just that. You also like the way that the speaker responds to this very sage life advice, which is a complex response. I don't want to diminish the complexity of the response, which is part of why later in life it is being reflected upon in this way. But like probably in that moment, noticing a range of response that has since been reflected on in more depth and now written out. But like to have that instant reaction to be more about like the person and the manner of delivery than the message also feels like kind of a teen thing where it's like, you know, whatever the reason is for shutting summer out is like, mm, I don't need this dad. I'm yeah. like, 
doing my inside thing today um <laughs> which is like fine and valid and i do not in any way mean to disparage teens and their very real feelings but like you know i that the way that the poem constructs that moment you get a strong feel for that and in the delivery of the message and the reflection on language and mentions of things like uh that i'm native here in a halfway house i did not assume that the speaker was mixed race but i at least assumed that there was some kind of tension about wherever they lived whether it is that they immigrated there or that they were from a family of at least two different backgrounds that i only learned later with biographical information but just from the poem i could tell it was probably one of those two things and again that's just part of the clarity with which the poem conducts itself which is so like gripping and i think that's something that i've tried to come to terms with i was reading as i was like reading it and rereading it is that it's so clear that a lot of the thematic components that i felt like i was pulling out and and really chewing on I couldn't tell if they were interesting enough to like bring up and discuss because it felt to me like it was kind of all there <laughs> and it both like is and isn't, <laughs> I think. I can't, it's a poem that I had a, had trouble sort of figuring that aspect of it out because there's so much there, but how much of that is still kind of under the surface and there's a lot under the surface, but like I was kind of... <laughs> <laughs> I was trying to figure it out for myself as I was going through. Like, am I noticing interesting things or am I just noticing what the poem is telling me, you know? <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah, no, that that's really interesting. You don't need the the biographical sort of information. I mean, the speaker would, would not say, like to say that I'm native here, like here is only relevant if like, okay, then the other person in the poem, the dad is not native here. And so you can kind of like infer that, you know, for whatever reason, you know, there's that, there's that difference between them. Yeah. And just the quote of the father just does so much work, which clearly, because that's sort of, you know, what has inspired the poem. And you also get a sense of, of the, the teen, <laughs> the teen energy, just like the pausing to shape advice that keeps coming back. You, you at least get a sense of this moment happened a long time ago. I mean, in theory, this could be, a, you know, like a, a sad adult Kafka who's still living at home in his 30s and is thinking back to his early 20s when he was also living at home or something. But, yeah, um, but then he would have written a never sent many page letter to his overbearing father, <laughs> as opposed to an elegantly crafted crystalline poem distilling a moment of uh, of insight. Yes, that is. <laughs> it's true. It's it's important uh, that Kafka honed his literary genius all the while living, <laughs> remaining at home with his parents. <laughs> that uh, Keneal uh, did not. He was able to get some, some, uh, some distance. Um, no, that's very true. Um, yeah, no, it's, it's a good point too about like what is kind of the big happenings that are like explicit and what are kind of the more subtle things because it is, it is laid out so well. And I mean, I think that's one thing that's great about this poem is like the big heart of it seems very 
clear to me, but there's a lot of other meanings that like kind of come out as you read it and encounter it again and stuff. I mean, the, the, like, this is sort of reductive, but like, you know, with sort of like second generation people and, you know, like with being in a place where your, your parents, either one or both like have immigrated or migrated from another place. And there's like different cultures and different languages and all that stuff. The kind of like halfway house feeling of, or, you know, not belonging to either place is sort of like a, a very powerful and I think like widespread kind of experience among people that in the circumstances that, you know, Keneal and the speaker are in, you know, on the one hand, this is his father and this is his, and he's at home, you know, in his family. And like, that's part of who he is and where his home is and all that stuff. And yet at the same time, he's grown up in, in England. He's learning, you know, he's learned English <laughs> from the queen or whatever. Um, and so he, he grows up with, with a, a very adept understanding of English and, and is therefore sensitive to the small like errors that someone who learned a different language first would make. Um, of, you know, instead of saying whatever is the matter, you must enjoy life. And the father says, whatever is matter must enjoy the life. And, and that kind of, in two minds, the poem says, like, ashamed, aware that I knew better is like, those are kinds of the initial sort of feelings of, right, like being like the feeling of shame of like, this sense of his father being wrong somehow by, and knowing it by the quote unquote wrongness of how he says his advice and also being aware of it. And also at the same time, you know, it's like that I knew better though was stuck inside while the sun was out. It's like, even though I've got my dumb teen energy and like, I'm just brooding for no reason. So there's like also that kind of sense. It's like, my dad is profoundly right and profoundly perceptive in this moment, even if he said it, quote unquote, wrong or whatever. One well, also like in the wrongness of saying is making in English a slightly different and even more profound statement, which is whatever is matter, all that exists must enjoy the life. Like, that's pretty cool. The movement of <laughs> yeah. one one little article whatever is matter is a a great statement and i think that's part of what is getting reflected on it doesn't get explicitly called out necessarily but that feels to me at play because you know that then comes back a little bit in terms of reflecting on how the article can be a sticking point between enjoying life where the article comes to symbol where the article the comes to symbolize this kind of the the disjointedness of enjoying life which the speaker was experiencing then for an unknown reason on this sunny day but is clearly still reflecting on the ways that you know being at home in a halfway house as opposed to or being i should say native in a halfway house as opposed to being native in one place or another causes continued negotiation between just uncomplicated enjoy enjoy life it's there's still that that article in between 
Yeah, and it's so painful too that, you know, and the poem ends, you know, still present between enjoy and life, that this kind of halfwayness, this this split, the the gets in as you were saying, the the gets in the way of enjoying life. It's like this kind of position of, you know, being between two cultures or two languages or two homes or, you know, two worlds is a kind of necessarily unsettling and kind of painful place to be in that also never goes away. But yeah, at the same time, right, the the lack of the the in the first part, whatever is matter, there is a, a real profundity to the statement that goes beyond a, a kind of more, I don't know, everyday like, you know, soak up some rays, buddy boy. Um <laughs> stop <laughs> stop looking so down. And so I feel like that those kinds of things that that we've talked about are like the the clear parts of the poem's heart. And I mean, on just that alone, I think it's 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 just amazing. And it's it's like it's such a it's like such a perfect. It's all in the like it's like one of the smallest, most ordinary pieces of language that like in this moment comes to represent this like post-colonial existential like pain and this distance to with family in that position and all that but then there yeah I don't know there there's there's yeah it's just the way that the poem moves is is also like there's a lot of elements in the poem that I that I really like that are sort of all revolving around that kind of central theme. But like, you know, the first stanza, like the scene, you have the speaker in his room and then you have the, like the dad is also kind of in the scene embodying this kind of in-betweenness where he's in the door frame, like not entering, but pausing and also, I, yeah, I, like, so there's, and there's this kind of, you know, like being halfway between two rooms that the father is sort of occupying that position and the, and the poem, I feel like, kind of sets up that situation kind of nicely there too. Um, the fact that it's like shaping advice, the, the verb shape feels like it adds sort of additional intentionality to the statement when it comes, which then gives more weight to it being grammatically, you know, I even hesitate to say incorrect because like, you know, it's, it's not, it's authentic in every way it needs to be to the way that it would be expressed. But like, you know, the, the fact that he's pausing to try and say the right thing to get his son who he cares about to go outside and enjoy life. And he's trying to formulate the right phrase and it comes out just minutely not grammatically exact. And of course, that's what the sun focuses on. Of course it is <laughs> in the moment. Yeah, no, that's exactly right. Yeah, no, and the, the intentionality is really cool because also the end of the poem, I, I've just been thinking about like, <laughs> it's kind of like a play on, on words, but like that definite article 
half right, half wrong, still present between enjoy and life. The definite, like the is a definite article. That's just kind of like what its meaning is. I guess, I guess what it means is just like, it's more pointy <laughs> than an A or whatever, which is more indefinite where you're like, no, the thing, you know, it's not quite that thing, but it's the thing rather than a thing. But the definite, the poem sort of saying that definite article is like the definite acquires, I feel like more meaning than just like defining what the is, um, where it's, it's like, it goes back to that shaping and that intentionality where it's like, it has real like, like physical existence. Like it's a, it's a thing, the, the, <laughs> it's intense in that way, I guess, and still present. I don't know. I, I think about like the way that it ends with still present between enjoy and life, the way that the, the somehow is like continuing to haunt <laughs> the speaker or the way, you know, and, and more broadly, you know, the way that this kind of in-betweenness or halfwayness or doubleness continues to haunt him. Yeah. I don't know. And then like, I mean, you can kind of start going a little crazy, but Going back, like the two minds, you know, on the one hand, it, it's sort of referring to the speaker sort of has these two minds of, of being, you know, raised in England, being sort of British in that way, and then also being his father's kid and occupying those two places. In, in the other way, it's kind of like just him and his father are these two minds. And then I just, then when I was thinking about the the end of the poem there's also kind of like the speaker in the present and the speaker in the past which i think is less present but there's a definite way that those experiences growing up yeah just as the poem says like still present it's not just in the past and it's it's this kind of you know mul multiple selves or multiple you know people like your kid self and your adult self and all that stuff that are kind of living alongside each other. I don't know. I'm, I'm curious what, um, what thoughts you were, you were having that you were wondering about. Yeah. I mean, a lot of the stuff that I was thinking about is just how the poem goes about accomplishing exactly what you're talking about, because it is on the one hand, I think it makes it all feel more straightforward than it is because the concepts that are being dealt with are really complicated. And in fact, the linguistic move that the poem is making is one that is way harder than the, the poem makes it seem like it is because to imbue a word like the with so much symbolic meaning and history and emotion is really tough to do like you have to be everything has to go right for that to work and it really works here and so a lot of what i was doing is sort of going through the poem and partially because it worked so easily and so well as i read through it trying to actually dig down and note where it was doing things that helped make my initial reading so clear even though it was bringing up so many complex issues and an actual single word was hitting hard at the end and i think a lot of it is in exactly the section that you were sort of talking about which is where it does bring in that more 
you know, reflective tone, the division between the child self and the present self and adding on that like more reflective layer. And I think particularly the way that it moves into talking about I'm native here, the way that that the last like three and a half lines basically starting with that I am native here, the way that they're constructed for me is what I kind of honed down as being where that really worked. And I think part of what works is that you get ashamed, aware that I knew better, though was stuck inside while the son was out, introducing the idea that like the father is in the broad sense correct, even if grammatically not exact. Then you get stuck with that I'm native here, period, also end of line. And what that creates instantly is you're thinking, oh, so like the father perhaps immigrated from somewhere else, and the divide is between the father and the son who is a native of this new country. English is sort of, it seems from the way the poem is put together, second nature. And obviously that is a, a clear divide that we've already seen between them. And then you get in a halfway house. And being native to a halfway house is such a powerful and evocative idea. And to break it up that way so that you are doing more thought as a reader to catch up with what is being said to you. And you make a quick readjustment like, oh, native in a halfway house. So you feel like you are you know, between. And that idea of betweenness is then linked, obviously, to the word that the father puts between in joy and life. But the way that that betweenness is structured and is made to, I don't know, it just is intuitively communicated to the reader, partially through the language, but also big time through the way the, the poem lays those two sentences out and makes that move. Um, by kind of loudly announcing it with the way that the poem is constructed uh, just on a sentence level and on a line break level, I feel like that is big because then you get the next little sentence like that sticking word. So you get those three discrete, quick sentences that move you between those three ideas that are really the crux of the poem wants you to make that connection. I had this experience and what I noticed in it was that this word that came between these two things, I feel like that experience where I felt disconnected from my father because of my betweenness, I connect to other instances in my life where my identity has been something that has come between me just enjoying life the way that other people who are truly native to this place do. Not that the speaker doesn't enjoy life, but a certain kind of enjoyment feels different to them is, is part of what I take away from the poem. And I think that those that I'm native here in a halfway house, like that sticking word, breaking those three short sentences up, having the line break be that I'm native here, line break, and then the next two in a halfway house, like that sticking word, those two sentences make the move, and then the last sentence of the poem that definite article, half right, half wrong, still present between enjoy and life, that kind of completes the thought, completes the the move that the poem is making from experience to broader kind of symbolic idea, that 
I, I really spend some time with that portion of the poem, those last three and a half lines. I love that. I think that's really right on. My last kind of little thought is just that it's a sonnet. <laughs> I was wondering when that was going to come up. Yeah. Um, it's a, it's a nice, it's a very nice sonnet. And um, it has a, it has a formal elegance to it in that instead of a kind of potentially more traditional, like eight line stanza with a six line stanza, we have a six line stanza to begin, a six line stanza to end. And then in between, we have a couplet, which I sort of feel like, I don't know, it, it works in, in a kind of crude formal way in that there's this even the the betweenness that's being described <laughs> feels like almost physical and visual in the poem where there's this neat little couplet that's in between these two larger stanzas it also you know in in the the sonnet structure where we have this kind of eight and then this turn and the volta that kind of revolves and get like gets going exactly when the the quote starts to happen which is the end of the sixth line whatever is matter must enjoy the life he pronounced this twice and me i heard wrongness in putting a the before life and so by the as we start the ninth line i feel like we we've completed our turn where we get the wrongness of the of the the <laughs> um so it, it it's it's doing its kind of sonnet work in that sense, I think. And and it still kind of finishes actually like in a sort of Shakespearean sonnety way where he was sort of known for the kind of three sets of four line stanzas and then this kind of final couplet that kind of puts it all together. And, you know, as you pointed out, like, those that I'm native here in a halfway house, like that sticking word, like the poem really gets to its heart there. And then we, right after that, we have our final couplet, which kind of like puts it all together in sort of like a resummation. It's actually very Shakespearean now that I'm thinking about it. Like that definite article, the, the half right, half wrong, which like, is capturing that that in-betweenness that that he talked about still present between enjoy and life which does which kind of adds its its last kind of concluding gesture and, and brings us into the present yeah which is which is very shakespeare anyway but again it's like it's one of those things where you don't need to know that it's a sonnet to i think like experience it fully it's just like another kind of extra texture and nuance that the poem is kind of bringing in and working with yeah and it's <laughs> it's amazing that's so interesting and the the specific kind of shakespearean sonnet resonances that you're drawing out is an interesting element to it especially when it is meditating on the english language because shakespeare is sort of the er author of english everything you know i mean it's sort yeah. of like 
almost all literature stems from the Bible in some way, you know, and not necessarily, obviously, like that's Western literature, but, you know, it's similar in a way that like almost all Western literature in some way is touched by Shakespeare, whether it's because it uses words that he invented or because it is written by somebody who, however dimly was like in touch with his works. It's not all but like so much is tinged with Shakespeare um and yeah like the classic example is how many words he invented that are now in common use but like particularly to be a person of color writing poetry in English in England is like another level of kind of resonance particularly when the subject matter is words (laughs) yeah and when you're you know not just any person of color, but like your father is from a part of the world that England had colonized. And so there's that all like, you know, power dynamic that's also at play where it's, and then to be the kid who like has the quote unquote mastery of the English language makes the whole dynamic all the more complicated, made sort of extra complicated by then like (laughs) demonstrating sort of a, a flawless sonnet form where yeah and it was audrey lord who said the master's tools will never dismantle the master's house again this poem is kind of more thinking intimately about him and his father and his uh, and and life but um you know there's there are definitely those dynamics kind of kind of happening It is interesting because that was sort of my last thought as well, is that I initially on first reading did not know that Cunil is British. And that was one piece of extra textual information that kind of ended up being pretty important to how I was thinking about and reading the poem. As I said at the beginning, like I took note of the Meghan and Harry uh, interview because I'd read this poem like we selected this poem well before that interview took place. And I had been reading and thinking about it before it happened and then was reading and thinking about it more after it happened um, and also situating this poem into the kind of British history of colonialism. And obviously the United States has its own history of white supremacy and colonialism, but it's very different from the way that the British Empire did its business and took over like a third of the world, literally did business uh, out of, you know, humanity. But uh, thinking about that history and what that looks like now, just as a a way of getting a deeper sense of the ways that obviously the speaker resonates with Cunil's lived experience, gave me a different kind of feel for the poem and a different window into it. Because, you know, as we are seeing so much evidence about the ways that racism in the UK is still very, very prevalent, you know, Pierce Morgan has to remind us what a shithead he is all the time about this and so many other things um but uh for him to have like a continued broadcasting presence even if he's not wildly popular is like kind of a wild thing um and like nigel farage was just on tv i don't know in the last day or so talking about how you know like colonialism in the british empire is the best thing that ever happened to the people who were colonized which is this weird strain of uh like history and literature from a certain class of obviously white dudes in it seems to me like particularly british academia like now uh, now ferguson is another one of those uh jabronis 
<laughs> who, who brings that nonsense up Ugh. uh where he'll talk about you know the medical advances from colonialism and all this other nonsense um yeah just the value that having that piece of information i felt like it brought to having a more textured experience reading the poem i don't think it's necessary but as you were saying with kind of knowing it's a sonnet or finding these shakespearean resonances it gives another texture to it to know the culture in which uh the the writer is writing when it is so much about that kind of cultural and national negotiation going on for for them personally definitely definitely should we read it again let's hear it again all right this is the word by zaffer cuneo I couldn't tell you now what possessed me to shut summer out and stay in my room, or at least attempt to, in bed mostly. It's my dad, standing in the doorframe not entering, but pausing to shape advice that keeps coming back. Whatever is matter must enjoy the life. He pronounced this twice. And me, I heard wrongness in putting a the before life. In two minds, ashamed, aware, that I knew better, though was stuck inside while the sun was out, that I'm native here in a halfway house, like that sticking word, that definite article, half right, half wrong, still present between enjoy and life. So, Jack, I have a question for you. Okay, Batman's the Riddler. (laughs) Pretty tell. What scrolls upon thy time have thou chanced encountered as of lately times? Mm. <laughs> I think I know what you're asking. Um, and the answer is <laughs> none. I have no scrolls. Um, uh, no. So over the weekend, I... Uh, <laughs> sorry, that was very crazy. I'm sorry. I love it. It was great. Uh, <laughs> the uh, no, over the weekend, I restrung my guitars and like cleaned them off and stuff, which you know every six to eight months I do as like a general maintenance thing because I, as an adult human being who likes to play the guitar, have saved up some money and bought some semi decent instruments. They're not top of the line, but they're not like the really basic ones that I bought when I was a teen. And so I want them to stay nice forever because I, you know, have not chosen the path of <laughs> whatever. Uh-huh. Uh, the point is I have some okay guitars and I like to keep them in the best shape I can. So changing the strings, cleaning them off. And this is like, it takes some time to do that. You know, like six strings, a little bit of time for each string. Cause I'm not a professional string changer or anything. And, you know, wipe in time. And so I had to have the the right kind of uh, entertainment and 
and experience during that. And so I uh, watched all of the new Netflix documentary miniseries, Murder Among the Mormons. And as Connor knows, I have long been fascinated by the Mormons. Uh, not only because Connor and I grew up in the Unitarian Universalist Church, where during high school we had a, a seminar series where representatives from other religions visited our youth group, including some Mormons. And the way that that whole series worked is that the week before the representatives came, one of us from the group would present about the religion, and I got to present on Mormonism. And also Scientology. We had Scientologists come. That was a whole other thing. But yeah. uh, I've always been fascinated by it. Also, obviously, my ongoing interest in and obsession with Angels in America, which features a lot of Mormon stuff. Yes. And so this was a documentary miniseries meant to hit a lot of my sweet spots in terms of my interests. And it did. <laughs> um, it's not like the best thing you'll ever see. It's no wild, wild country. But it's uh it's definitely very interesting very entertaining and i can almost guarantee it's a story you don't know about even though there were three bombs that went off in salt lake city in the 80s because of church documents so wow. it's yeah it's fascinating so murder among the mormons it's on netflix if you've got guitar strings to change or you just want to know about <laughs> <laughs> what the Mormons are up to? What Murder. About you? Oh, what about me? Yeah, what about you? Oh, Jack. Oh, Jack. Well, it's time for me to give you a tome because I've got a book that is hot off the shelves. I have found it very interesting. I'm still reading it, but. It's called Histories of Racial Capitalism. It is edited by De Destin Jenkins and Justin Leroy. And it's essentially a series of essays that explore the concept of racial capitalism. And yeah, I don't know. I feel like it's very, very interesting. And to me, it feels like a concept that is becoming more widely talked about but i want to be more as soon as i encountered it it was it made a huge impact because i think it 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 explained certainly american history and structures in a way that i found very convincing and powerful but but basically like the basic idea of racial capitalism is that the construction of race as a as a form of difference allows the exploitation required by capitalism and you know the two kind of like central forms of this in u.s history are you know um settler colonialism and you know slavery both of those sort of brutal structures have have continued and and morphed in in various ways one reason why i i'm very interested by it is that it has kind of thinking about racial capitalism and and basically thinking about capitalism and racism as not 
like just two things that are happening alongside one another, but sort of like linked together necessarily, to me has like important critiques of both certain parts of the left right now and also critiques of sort of mainstream liberal democratic uh, parties, which the book sums up in kind of a great way. The first part, this is an excerpt, and this is all I'll read because I've just been thinking about it a lot. But first, racial justice cannot be achieved by subsuming it under a generalized call for economic justice. The racially differentiated distribution of suffering under capitalism will not be rectified without a robust analysis of race. So that you can kind of, the crude example would be like 2016 Bernie Sanders campaign, which is a very class first against the 1% and then also criminal justice reform, but not like much connection between the two. Then second, capitalism cannot be rehabilitated through the inclusion of previously excluded groups. The racial violence of capitalism does not end where political and legal rights begin, which I think has some power in critiquing some sort of strains of sort of capital D democratic party politics um, or liberal politics, which really focuses on, you know, legal and political inclusion and often does not um, although, I mean, I'm, I'm, hallelujah, folks, I'm talking to you on the day that the House passed the $1.9 trillion stimulus package, which will cut child poverty in half. Biden's America, who Living knew? Living in Joe Biden's America. The man to end Reagan once and for all. Who would have thought it'd be Sleepy <laughs> Joe? Who would have thought? I mean, he tried in 1988. He was ready to like, I mean, it wouldn't have been like this if he got elected then, but like he was no. ready after Reagan. He was like, yeah, get, get old Joe in there. <laughs> Joe's ready. And then America was like, dude, we're going to need you to wait 32 years and it's got to get a lot worse, but don't worry. We love the enthusiasm. Yeah, we do. No, I mean, we're actually at an inflection point, but I hope so. I hope so. But at any rate, yeah, it's very fascinating and I highly recommend it. That sounds really cool.